On this third Sunday in Eastertide, we hear again how the disciples respond in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Luke's Gospel tells a story about two disciples walking along the road, discussing the events when a stranger appears to them. When they share a meal with a stranger, they realize he's actually the risen Christ. We now look at what happens next. Let us open our heart ears, our minds, our imaginations, and our souls, and step across time and space into the conversation with the excited and bewildered disciples. While the disciples were talking about these events, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. For the good news of Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy holy sight. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The day was Monday, May 7th, the year 1945. The setting, Boston Symphony Hall. The Radcliffe Choral Society, the Harvard Glee Club, and the Boston Symphony Orchestra were about to perform Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It was past time to begin. The musicians and audience grew restless, even anxious, as rumors spread that the conductor was missing. Suddenly, Sergei Kusevitsky strode breathlessly onto the stage, flung off his black cape, turned to the audience and declared, ladies and gentlemen, the war with Germany is over. He whirled around, picked up his baton, and led the orchestra in the star-spangled banner. Everyone sang. Tears of grief for what had been lost. Tears of relief that the war was over flowed freely. Then, writes former Radcliffe Choral member, Jean Moulton Burdekin, 
We sang Ode to Joy with our hearts bursting. And on that same night, or perhaps it was the next, residents of a small English village located midway between London and the English Channel also gathered to celebrate the end of the war. It was a village where homes and farms had been severely harmed, even destroyed. German planes needing to lighten their load to conserve fuel for the return trip across the channel, dropped their bombs, originally destined for London, upon the countryside. The villagers gathered around a celebratory bonfire, a gorgeous sight not seen since before the war with the need for nightly blackouts. But then the firewood began to pop and it sounded too much like gunfire. Twigs snapped in the forest. They wondered whether the enemy might be lurking there. Besides, it was night and the bombs almost always fell at night. And so the English villagers, including my then 10 year old mother, returned to their homes in shaken silence. Mom told my sister and me there was joy in the daylight hours when the church bells pealed simultaneously across England. Permit one more story. After three and a half years of chemo, a brutal clinical trial, and a bone marrow transplant, writer Suleika Jawad walked out of a hospital cured from a particularly virulent cancer. She was not expected to survive and at many points barely had. In the days and weeks that followed, Jua realized that she had spent so long in a desperate and determined fight to survive, she had forgotten how to live. In her stunning 2021 memoir, Between Two Kingdoms, Jawad writes, there is no restitution, no return to the days when our bodies were unscathed, our innocence intact. Recovery isn't a gentle self-care spree that restores you to a pre-illness state. Recovery is not about salvaging the old at all, it's about accepting that you must forsake a familiar self forever in favor of one that is being newly born. It is an act of brute, terrifying discovery. How Juad learns to live again is a compelling story. I commend it to you and I will not spoil it for you. These three stories bear witness to people emerging from trauma, emerging from a time of trial, even terror. It's not a one-time event. It's a process, 
Emerging is easier for some than for others. It's easy to be disoriented in the new landscape. Many landmarks and milestones, many rituals and traditions have dramatically changed, even disappeared. It can be hard to learn to live again after significant events, the death of a beloved, divorce, released from prison, returning stateside from military service, it's not simple to start over. And now, all of us, almost all at the same time, are beginning to emerge from the pandemic, are beginning to learn to live again. To be sure, COVID is still very much with us. In some places, it is worse than it has ever been but there are signs of hope and promise. We receive vaccines. More children, teachers, and coaches return to school buildings. We get our hair cut. There are fans at Fenway. We go out for ice cream. But it is not normal. It is not back to normal. And it never will be. As the three stories remind us, it is simply not possible to experience what we have experienced, to endure what we have endured, and emerge unchanged into an unchanged world. Everything is different. We have an opportunity, however. We have an invitation to learn to live in new ways, in ways that bear witness to and grow into the truths for better and for worse that we have learned about ourselves, our families, our nation, and even the world. COVID has tested our strength and exposed the fragility in our own lives it has also revealed, yet again, the glaring and growing inequities and disproportionate burdens that define life for so many in this country and around the globe. We are not the first, and we'll, we will not be the last, to emerge from tribulation, to need to learn to live again. After the brutal death of Jesus, Jesus's family and friends, his disciples and followers also had to learn to live again. And today's text from Luke offers wonderful insights for us about what the disciples needed in order to learn to live again and about what we might need as we learn to live again. The text from Luke begins abruptly while they were talking about this. Who are they? And what is the this about which they are talking? They, 
are Cleopas and his friend, who are joined by the risen Jesus as they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Cleopas and his friend, downcast by recent events, told the stranger everything that had happened. They spoke of Jesus's arrest, the crucifixion, and they even told him the amazing story recounted by the women who went to the tomb, discovered it empty, yet encountered two angels who told them Jesus was alive. And the women believed it, but they did not. As they walked to Emmaus, the stranger exp explained to Cleopas and his friend how the law and the prophets had foretold all that had happened. Intrigued by how their unexpected walking companion interpreted the scriptures, Cleopas and his friend invite their new friend to join them for dinner. And it is then that Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. They recognized him. They understood. Then and there, Cleopas and his friend changed direction, literally and figuratively. They abandoned their plans to continue to Emmaus and they return immediately that very night to Jerusalem. They seek out and find the 11 and those gathered with them. They proclaim the Lord has risen indeed. Cleopas and his friend tell them everything that transpired on the walk to Emmaus and how they recognize Jesus at last in the breaking of the bread. This is the conversation they were having and this is where we enter today's text. And this is where Jesus does as well. As if to illustrate the testimony of Cleopas and his friend, Jesus stands among them and says, peace be with you. Yet peace is far from what they felt. They are startled and terrified. They think they are seeing a ghost Jesus responds, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We could hear this as a rebuke, or we can hear it as Jesus acknowledging their confusion, honoring their experience. I am not a ghost, for ghosts do not have flesh and bones. Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch and see. Jesus offers his hands and feet, the very places the nails went through to fasten him to the cross. The wounds are there, but they are no longer a source of pain, rather of identity. They are a witness to the resurrection. With this invitation to see and touch, 
they move from being startled and terrified to joy. Joy that is tempered with disbelief and wonder about the new life before them. There's a lot to take in. They've never experienced anything like this because nothing like this has ever happened. Again, Jesus recognizes their emotions and offers not a rebuke, but another invitation to encounter him, to see and experience his body risen in glory. He asks, have you anything to eat? They offer fish and he eats in their presence, something ghosts don't do. Then Jesus abandons the parables, the metaphors, and the analogy. He speaks plainly. He gets down to brass tacks. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It is intriguing to me that in the encounter on the way to Emmaus, the risen Jesus begins by teaching. After Cleopas and his friend failed to understand, Jesus reveals himself as only he could in the breaking of bread. On the other hand, with the 11 and the others gathered, Jesus reverses course. He does not begin with teaching and interpretation of scripture, but with an encounter, with touch, with shared food. Only after they recognize him does Jesus open their minds to understand the scriptures in light of what they had just experienced, an encounter with the crucified and risen Lord teaching about our tradition and sharing the stories of scripture are essential. They provide a context for faith, yet they are rarely in and of themselves a catalyst for faith. The teachings are important, the teacher far more so. Often faith comes after an encounter with the divine, after a life-changing moment, after a wave of deep peace that only God can give, after meeting a person of deep faith. After such experiences, life changes. It did for Cleopas and his friend. They abandoned their journey to Emmaus and returned to Jerusalem. It changed for those gathered in Jerusalem who accepted the call to proclaim Christ's name to all the nations. Once Jesus' friends and followers encountered the risen Christ, the brokenness in their lives is made whole. They emerge into new life in his name. And so can we. The text also reminds us that people can offer faithful, accurate witness 
to new life in Christ and not be believed. When the women returned from the empty tomb and told the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead, their witness was dismissed as but an idle tale. Thomas, in turn, refused to believe the witness of the disciples unless he could touch Jesus's wounds. Different people need different things to believe, to have faith, to emerge into new life. And how wonderful it is that whatever the disciples needed, Jesus met them where they were and offered it. This is good news for us. Jesus meets us where we are and invites us to emerge into new life in his name. The encounters in today's text are at once tender and the stuff of daily life touch, breaking of bread, and shared food are precisely what many of us have missed dearly and most longed for these last 13 months. I imagine that touch, breaking bread together, and sharing food will be among the encounters that strengthen us as we emerge into new life. Each one of us will emerge from very different experiences of the same pandemic. Some have bought a dream home. Some have lost homes. Some have fallen in love. Some have fallen apart. Some have luxuriated in a slower pace. Some are exhausted by what has been required of them. Some have welcomed new jobs. Some have lost their livelihoods. In the midst of all of this, the world has not stood still. We are changed and the world has changed. And so, some of us will emerge from COVID like the English villagers in shaken silence. We will be fearful of new surges and variants that lurk in the dark. We will find joy in daylight and the sound of church bells. Some of us, like Suleika Jawad, will undertake an act of brute, terrifying discovery. We will travel far and come home transformed. Some of us, like those gathered at Symphony Hall, will shed tears of relief and grief as we raise our voices in song. We will sing Ode to Joy with hearts bursting. Some will even throw off black capes and announce good news. As we learn to live again and anew, I imagine we will experience the full range of emotions from fear to elation. Wherever we find ourselves, let's remember the risen Christ will meet us there, will find us where we are, and offer us 
what we mean, what we need. Let's remember that though there is no restitution, though there is no return, there is resurrection, there is new life. Thanks be to God, and may the people say, Amen.